Well, I am not Pastor Todd, uh, and it's good to have Pastor Todd here, and uh, it's so good to have you here, and so good that uh, Marianne is doing well if you're uh, late in coming. Uh, The text before us um, is from Isaiah, and as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about uh, just the nature of Christmas as an American, and I was remembering uh, back in 2003, I was in a much colder place in Newton Center, Massachusetts, outside of Boston, and uh, that year was the first year, I think, ever where I wasn't able to fly back or drive back uh, to have Christmas with my family, and I thought, ah, oh, this will be fine. Christmas, after all, is just a day like every other day. Uh, turns out, after all, it's a day after, like every other day, where every other day ahead of it is reminding you that you should be home with family, and you should be having a wonderful time, and everything should be wonderful. And uh, I, Christmas Day, I actually was able to join some uh, uh, good friends at the church I was working at in, uh, in Newton Center, but Christmas Eve was a downer. And uh, not even going to see the movie Elf in the theater was enough to really revive my spirits. Uh, Christmas is not like any other day. And uh, the world has this way of reminding you, just like um, Valentine's Day, if you're single, uh, you might have experienced that. You might have thought, who gets Chinese food on on Valentine's Day? It turns out everybody does. Uh, But uh, that Christmas for me was was sad and lonely, and uh, there was some good in it, but um, in our culture, we live in a time where everything you see is telling you that your life should be good and wonderful at Christmas, and if you watch movies from a long time ago, then your family is good and wonderful, and things are good and wonderful at Christmas. If you watch movies made now, then your family is a mess, but things at Christmas always work out well, and somehow there's always something roasted that looks beautiful on the table, and people who have been yelling at each other and screaming at each other are all embracing, and there's this wonderful glow, and there's music, and I know that the truth for many, uh, perhaps for some of you, is that uh, Christmas uh, this time or other times Uh, is not that way. Um, Likewise, we look at the world, and uh, on one hand, uh, the text today speak to us in our personal difficulties. On the other, they speak to us uh, in the situation of the world where, uh, as we're gathered together in safety, we know there are many who are fleeing for their lives uh, and are The world is a mess, Uh, whether you're in Southern California or in Paris or in Syria or Indonesia or parts of China or the list goes on. Uh, And one of the truths of the text we're looking at is that um, uh, the people of God were in a situation where things were not great and things were about to get much worse. Today we have ISIS, they had the Assyrians, and the Assyrians were among the most brutal people that have ever walked the face of the earth. I don't know that I can say that they were the worst, but uh, they had the habit of piling up the skulls of their enemies and of peeling the skin off of 
those that they defeated. They were brutal and they were not merciful. Uh, Isaiah comes 20 years before they completely take out the northern 10 tribes of Israel. Uh, And already there are difficulties. Isaiah continues prophesying as the Assyrians come up to the gate of Jerusalem and Hezekiah is freaked out for good reason because there are hundreds of thousands of people. God delivers them uh, by having 200,000 of them die in a night, uh, which might explain why the Babylonians were able to come in later. Uh, They're not much better. Um, Hezekiah, a good king in general, made a mistake of when the Babylonians came. He said, look how great I am. See all my gold? And the Babylonians said, we see your gold. We like your gold. We'd like to see your gold again. And uh, as it turns out, they will come. And uh, several times Nebuchadnezzar will sack Jerusalem until the people of God are carried off into exile. One of the good things, though, is that the text we have before us, the texts we have before us, are texts that are filled with good news. And we have been looking at the announcement. Uh, Pastor Nathaniel and Pastor Todd have been taking us through various aspects of the big story, uh, starting off in the garden where Adam and Eve start off with shame, and God says there will be someone, and he will crush the head of the serpent. And we've been continuing, and we're at about the low point, or one of the low points in the story. Uh, Isaiah uh, is, again, at a point where we're 20 years away from uh, the northern 10 tribes being carried off and lost. Uh, They become the Samaritans later, but they lose their identity as the people of God. Uh, Likewise, uh, we're going to see Israel hit the bottom point of wickedness right after Isaiah. Uh, Tradition says that Isaiah lost his life being cut in half by the son of Hezekiah. Uh, The son of Hezekiah was Manasseh. He was the worst king Judah would have uh, in terms of idolatry, in terms of uh, wicked practice, uh, and... Uh, Israel is not in a good place. And so we jump into Isaiah. And I know uh, the prophets are not the easiest books of the Bible to understand or to figure out. There is a gap of several thousand years between you and I and Isaiah, and uh, some of the language is very strange. And sometimes you read things like this in Isaiah 20, verse 2 and following, in the year that the supreme commander sent by Sargon, king of Assyria, came to Ashdod and attacked and captured it. At that time, the Lord spoke through Isaiah, son of Amos. He said to him, take off the sackcloth from your body and the sandals from his feet. And he did so, going around stripped and barefoot. That's the world of the prophets. You have Isaiah uh, wandering around with not much on for quite a while. Why does he do that? Uh, The short version is he was communicating that the king of Ashdod, who was a wicked king, would be defeated and led away, stripped of his power. Uh, You can also read strange things that Ezekiel does 
uh, uh, and the prophets can be just very strange, but they speak in very powerful ways. So how do we look at them? The first point is to, to recognize that they're working within a framework. God had set up his people with certain rules. The Ten Commandments are a good summary of those rules. Uh, you can also look at the last part of Deuteronomy in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And a summary is, if you do the things of the law, you're going to be blessed in your coming, in your going, in, uh, in your basket, in your land, everything will be wonderful. And if you disobey, then cursed will you be in your coming and going in morning and evening. There will be mildew all over the place. Uh, your crops are going to dry out. Uh, you will have trouble with enemies. You will be carried off into exile. And if you don't repent, you'll be completely destroyed. Uh, now, salvation in the Old Testament, just like now, was by grace through faith. We can find that in Romans 4 that uh, mentions that Abraham was saved by faith. There are other places. But when it came to an, the Israelites, there was a real way where the law established uh, their life as something where in the land of Israel, they would be blessed for obedience, they would be cursed for disobedience. And the prophets had the wonderful job of going to a people who were wicked and rebellious and saying to them, you have transgressed uh, God's law and God is bringing charges against you. And if you do not repent, you will suffer the consequences. Uh, now, it's interesting to me that the only prophet who gets listened to is the one who doesn't want to get listened to. Uh, Jonah is the only prophet successful in his own time. Uh, and what does he do? He gets out his lawn chair and waits for the rocks to fall from heaven uh, on, of all people, the Assyrians. Uh, and uh, it's understandable why he's upset with them, but God is merciful on them. Isaiah, on the other hand, is largely ignored uh, by everybody. Uh, and that brings us to the second part of, of the prophet's job. Their first part was to act as God's prosecutors. The second part is they have this wonderful way of slipping in, in the middle of this judgment. They slip in these little, and there's going to be a branch, and God is going to make everything wonderful. Uh, there's going to be a servant. He's going to suffer, and he's going to take away all your sins. Uh, the second uh, job of the prophet was to communicate hope and promise of salvation. Now, if no one was listening, you might wonder why no, let them know this at the head of, uh, or ahead of time. Why tell them you're going to go into exile, but things will be fine. Don't worry. Um, you might think, well, the people are going to say, well, if we're going to be fine, why would we bother repenting? Uh, it's interesting that the prophecies seem to be made not so much for the people of the day, who were ignoring it all anyway. But the prophecies of the good news that was coming is really for later. It's as if the prophets are drawing out a map. Uh, there's going to be this judgment on the king of Ashdod. Uh, you're going to go into exile. Uh, there's going to be this king named Cyrus, uh, and so on and so forth. And at the time, again, the Israelites, the 
the Jews are ignoring it. But later, when they're in Babylon suffering, far from home, uh, wondering how they got there, they would have the books of the prophets, and they would say, oh, he was telling the truth. He was telling the truth about all those judgments on the nations. He was telling the truth about us being brought into exile. He's telling the truth about the one who's going to come and save us too. The, prophe- uh, the prophecies are salva- of salvation are, are there so that when the people were carried off, they would see that the prophet they ignored was a true prophet of God. And they would remember the good along with the terrible. And they would have hope and joy that God had not given up on them and that they would return. And that brings us uh, to kind of our looking at our passage itself. Um, Again, Isaiah is living at a rough time. Uh, He starts his ministry around 740 B.C. Uh, The northern tribes are carried off in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians. Uh, It's in 586 that Nebuchadnezzar comes. Uh, So Isaiah is still a good 100-plus years ahead of the exile, but he is already anticipating prophesying that God is going to bring his people through, uh, that the judgments are going to happen, but there is going to be good news. That brings us to the first of our texts. In our text, uh, we jump into Isaiah 52. uh, And we have a few things that we're going to look at. The first is that to a people who are in exile, there is going to be a messenger And this messenger is going to come and is going to bring good news. Uh, The message is that our God reigns. The God of Israel is king. Now, those of you who have studied history may be familiar with the story of the first uh, person to run the marathon, Uh, It's the story of a guy named Pheidippides. Uh, He was an Athenian who was a runner, and it was his final run over two days where he ran from Marathon to Athens. Uh, It was, by the way, history records, the last leg of him running uh, about 150 miles in two days where he had run to Sparta, said, will you guys please, please, please help us? They said no. Uh, So he ran back. And then he ran to Marathon, and then he ran to to Athens. And the historical uh, accounts say that he comes and his message is joy. We have won. And then he falls over and uh, dies because he's been running for two days. Um, But you can imagine how glad they were to see him and how they must have thought something similar to how beautiful his feet are. Uh, In the same way, Isaiah's messenger carries the message of victory. The people have been waiting 
with anticipation. And the messenger comes, publishing peace, bringing good news of happiness, saying to Zion, saying to Jerusalem, the city of God, your God reigns. Putting that another way, it is not the gods of Babylon or Assyria or Persia or Egypt who are in control. God has not been defeated. Uh, One of the things that uh, came up in my reading is the Babylonians tended to not only carry people into captivity, they also tended to bring their idols and effectively to say, your gods are our gods now. Your gods now work for us. And of course, the book of Daniel uh, speaks loudly against that. Uh, But so too does this messenger that your God reigns. In verse 8, we hear the response. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Another prophet, Ezekiel, had a vision. Uh, In Ezekiel 8 through 11, he has a vision that God leaves the temple. When Solomon consecrated the temple, God came down in glory, and they could see it. And the message was, Emmanuel, God with us. God has made his home among us with the exile The worst part was that God had left. Now, of course, God would take care of them. Of course, God was still at work. In a way, too, it was still very real that they were the people of God. But that comforting presence, that intimacy, that ability to walk to the temple and worship God was gone. God's presence was absent, was absence, or sorry, was absent. And Isaiah here prophesies not just that God is in control, but that God is coming back. The title of Pastor Todd's sermon uh, was God is at the center. Uh, If I had been quick enough, maybe I would have changed it, but I stayed with it. Uh, God is at the center. Had I changed it, it might have been God's coming home. Uh, It's a good title. And so we, we kept it. God is at the center. God is coming back. And the, res, the result could well have been, God is coming back. Scream for terror and run. Who can endure the day of his coming? But the message is one of joy. In verse 9, break forth together in singing. You waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. In the Hebrew language, when something is put in the past tense and it hasn't happened yet, that means it's going to happen. It is certain. 
Though Isaiah is prophesying something that won't happen for a very long time, it is certain. God has decreed it. For the people, it is true. God has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. This is where our second text comes in. When you look at the Old Testament, it's not often that you get angels showing up. You have a few times where the angel of the Lord shows up. We understand that to be God himself showing up. Times like when uh, Abraham is visited with the angel of the Lord and two other angels. Uh, The birth of Sorry, Joshua speaks to the angel of the Lord. Samson, his parents, speak to the angel of the Lord. But when you talk about actual, regular angels, that is, angels who are not God in the form of an angel, it doesn't happen that often. Uh, Elijah gets told to eat something by an angel. Uh, Daniel is visited by the angel Gabriel. Um, There's a time when, I believe it's Elisha, I'm doing this on the cuff, uh, is brought in to, or people come after him, and he opens their eyes, and they see angels, or at least his servant does. But angels don't show up very often. And here, in our second text, in Luke, we see something absolutely remarkable. That the angels just can't keep quiet. And we hear their voice singing together for joy of the return of the Lord to Zion. They break forth into singing to the waste places of Jerusalem because the Lord has comforted his people. It may or may not be too much to say that this text is a direct fulfillment, but it certainly is a fulfillment of that kind of thing. We have the angels of God present, unable to contain themselves. Again, in something that almost never happens. Uh, One of the other things Christmas has sort of done for us is we we see angels everywhere. You can kind of get the idea that uh, they thought that way back then. Uh, They didn't. Angels were rare. And so to see a host of them, this is a once in a, a universe, twice maybe, uh, when Christ comes. But they say to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. God has retained his people. God has returned. This is a message of joy. This means that the prophecies of Isaiah, which, yes, they came true when 
when the people of God did come back to Jerusalem. But God has physically come back. He is physically with his people. And there is cause for joy. So how does this text speak to us? The first is that God has accomplished these things. And we, when we look at what God does when he shows up, in verse 10 of Isaiah 52, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. In other words, he's rolled up his sleeves and he is ready for battle. He has come to make things right and to save. And of course, Jesus comes to save. And he is born so that we might have life and comfort and peace. Brothers and sisters, the message of the gospel, the message of the original advent, of the original Christmas, was not your life is going to be wonderful and easy and at the end of the day you're going to have a nice meal where everybody gets along and nobody uh, says anything unkind and uh, it works out at, at the end like a Hallmark special. That's not our message. The comfort of the gospel is not comfort in this present life. Yes, God will sometimes answer prayer. Yes, sometimes things will get better and sometimes they will be good. But sometimes they won't be. Sometimes we will be persecuted precisely because we're following God. Sometimes the enemy will seek to overrun us and to destroy our joy. Sometimes the consequences of our own sin will stick with us even though our sins themselves are forgiven. But we do have this comfort that your sins are covered and that Christ has come and God has rolled up his sleeve before the eyes of the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. Brothers and sisters, Christ has died for you just as he has been born for you. And he, had been, he has been raised, and there will be a, again a day where we will say, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of, those, of him who brings good news when we see Jesus return. When we hear the message, we have won joy. Now there's another aspect, to the, another way that this text speaks to us when you're reading the Old Testament, it's always a good idea to ask, does this sh text show up again in the New Testament? And this one does. And though Isaiah 52, verse 7, speaks of a messenger, Paul comes along, and because he's an apostle, he can do this. In Romans 10, and he changes the singular to the plural, and he's speaking about the glories of the gospel, and he's speaking about uh, the way things uh, have been made good, but he's also speaking about the, ne the need of people to hear. 
And it's also worth, worth noting that before Paul says this, he establishes very clearly that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone, that it is Christ alone who saves, that, uh, that God had ordained this from the very beginning, that this is not an act of human will. But picking up at Romans 10 verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now that's not a text directed just to Pastor Todd, Pastor Nathaniel, and others who have REV period in front of their names. Uh, There is a special calling to preach the word. There is a general calling to all believers to proclaim the good news that you have received, to go out and as you're living your life, tell others. Now, this doesn't mean necessarily that you have to become a missionary. Well, that's always a good thing to pray about. It doesn't mean that you have to be a pastor. That's also a good thing to pray about. It doesn't mean that you have to show up to strangers' doors with little tracks and uh, start awkward conversations though the Lord does use that. But it does mean that we should be speaking about the gospel and living out the gospel, and we should be ready to proclaim the good news. Uh, Now, it's a fine line between hearing that and feeling guilty that we haven't. I don't stand up here to, to make you feel guilty, but I do give you this charge. Pray about it. Ask God to open your eyes to opportunities, to open your mouth when your mouth needs to be opened. Uh, And God's promise that the Holy Spirit will carry you through that and that he will give you the words. Uh, We believe very much it is the Lord Jesus who died and brings salvation. It's not us. We believe that it's the Holy Spirit who changes hearts. Uh, If we don't believe that, we can... uh, batter our heart trying to convince someone that that they need to repent and feel absolutely horrible when they don't. It's not our job to convert. But we do have a role to play. And God, in his mercy and in his, his overabundant love and joy, has chosen us to be his messengers. We have a part to play. God doesn't need us. 
but he will use us. And he has invited us to be part of this story. Now, the last thing to say is that we too are to sing for joy. And this is not a call to close your eyes to the world and uh, try to muster up some kind of false hope, false joy. Again, this is not a call that your Christmas should look like the ones on TV or uh, that if you're faithful, they will. But Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ has risen and Christ will come again. Reflect on that and let that be the source of the joy that does not perish, spoil, or fade. Because Christ has accomplished it for you. And if you're someone who that's new to you and you haven't, you haven't entered in to this story, you haven't confessed your sins and believed in Jesus, The door is open. The gospel is free. As I read earlier from Paul, to become a Christian, to partake of the kingdom of God, we need to believe in our hearts that Jesus came and died and saved us and confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord and you will have life and God will never leave you alone. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, give us that joy. May we be able to sing with the angels.